Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. On this bonus episode, we're going to revisit a past weekend long read suggestion from last month and talk to the author of that long read to go further in depth. Do you remember I recommended Land of the Super Founders, a medium piece by Ali Tamaseb, who spent 300 hours gathering data on unicorn startups to answer the simple question, what did billion-dollar startups look like when they were just getting started? What common traits did they share? If you read the piece, there's a link in the show notes, it was chock full of data, and so Ali was kind enough to sit down with me for a deeper dive into some of the learnings therein. But first, this bonus episode is being brought to you by Squarespace. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. You can use Squarespace to turn your cool idea into a business, showcase your work, blog, or even sell products. But heck, you can use Squarespace to quickly and easily set up an online presence for your existing business or some upcoming special event. Squarespace has beautiful templates created by world-class designers. It has powerful e-commerce functionality to let you sell anything online. Everything is mobile optimized right out of the box, and you can own your own domain and take advantage of secure hosting and 24-7 award-winning customer support. Build yourself a beautiful web presence by going to squarespace.com listen for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code listen to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com forward slash listen and promo code listen at checkout. All right, let's talk the common features of unicorn startups with Ali Tamaseb. All right, so you're at Data Collective VC. What sort of what sort of investments does DCVC make? Are you guys um, focused on specific companies, spaces, industries, that sort of thing? So Data Collective uh, VC, we're a Silicon Valley-based venture capital firm. Started about 10 years ago, we are an early stage investor. We invest in seed and series A, and we are primarily a deep tech investor. And what we mean by deep tech is highly technical companies, highly technical founders, oftentimes they're PhDs or academics. Uh, they're working on something that's hard. It's not an app. It's not a consumer brand. It's not a business model innovation. It's a technically challenging product. And that, that and only that team can actually make it or they're far ahead from the other team uh, in doing that. So we like defensible companies to invest and we like very large industries. So it's, it's a high problem, very hard problem. Nobody has solved it. It's a massive market. If you make it happen, if you sort out the technology, you open up a big market. That's what we are interested in. Boy, that's interesting to learn that having read the Medium piece, because now I can see, uh, you know, some some of the way that you, you framed your research. Um, and you actually, you have an mm -hmm. academic research background yourself, right? I do, yes. So I come from, a, from an academic background in neuroscience. I've done a lot of research on 
brain computer interfaces on generally biomedical engineering, biomedical signal processing, as well as human computer interaction. So um, we're here to talk about your medium piece, which got a lot of attention, Land of the Super Founders. Um, what, what prompted you to, to do this project? I, I think you said that you did this in your free time. Yes, and it's, it's, it's taken a lot of time. I've at least spent 300 hours, maybe 400 hours. It's about one and a half years, all my weekends gone on gathering this data, but I, I was fascinated. And when I started, I didn't actually have the mindset of writing something about it. It was genuinely a question for me of what is separating these uh, and a very large companies. There's a lot of things people say, um, there, but there is no data. You go and Google and there's a bunch of you know answers on Quora here and there. There's no definitive answer on a lot of these questions. So I said, okay, somebody should do it. Somebody should put it online. So I started gathering the data. The problem is the data is hard to find. It's not on Crunchbase. It's not. It's, it's on LinkedIn. It's in interviews. You should email the founder. So it was a lot of manual work. It's not something you can uh, basically automate. So I had to go manually and gather all this data. So essentially, the question that you're asking is uh, unicorns, billion-dollar startups. What did they look like? What did they have in common when they were just getting started were you is is this an exercise in like pattern matching were you looking for commonalities um like what what in your mind was would be the usefulness of this sort of data yeah so i mean i guess both as a as a, as a kind of venture capitalist the, the way i was looking at it is how we can better pattern match of basically understanding these companies and also have a better mindset of understanding is this a unique situation or has this happened before? If this company didn't go to an accelerator program, if they were rejected, if they're a solo fund, there's, there's a lot of things about solo funds, right? Why Combinator doesn't normally fund them or whatever. And like, is it true or not? That's, that was the question. Should I negatively bias myself just because people are saying this? Have they done the work to actually do the pattern matching or not? And one kind of main thing here about this article uh, is it's not a correlation and causation study. So I'm not suggesting any of these metrics are suggesting what we should invest in. This is this is basically a review of what the billion dollar companies today look like at that time. Now in the future they may change, in the kind of time period before that they may have been different, but this is what they look like now. They don't necessarily correlate, but some of them show a lot of interesting stuff, especially the things that we, we we don't expect to see. So it's a lot of things that we didn't expect to see and we are seeing it in the billion dollar companies, not the, not the other way around. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's dive right into that then. So you, you already mentioned it, um, you know, the idea that the, we're, we're, we're kind of all used to this, but like the most common number of co-founders, you usually have a, a two or a three person team and only like 20% of unicorns, uh, according to your data, had solo founders. Um, again, I feel like, we all are, are, are used to that, but uh, is, is there a particular reason why you think that that's true, that, that solo founders are not the norm? Well, I, I, part of it is just, just the bias of starting. My, the, the point I was trying to show here is solo founders work, companies with 10 co-founders work as well. And part of it is just how many companies, a lot of companies start with two or three co-founders. So it's natural that we see a lot more companies with two or three co-founders in the unicorns. But what we oftentimes hear is solo founders don't work or six founders don't work. And we're just seeing there is 
a number of unicorns with five co-founders, or there is 40 companies with just one founder. And uh, I mean, I guess it's, you know, obviously it's, it's useful to have a team. Like it's, it's very rare that you've got that one lone genius out there, but also like, like looking at the data, um, like you said, there are big founding teams, but again, those are comparatively rare. Like the, 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 the fat part of the graph is the two or three co-founders, and then it's it's comparatively rare to have like an eight-member uh, founding team, and it's comparatively rare to have a one-person founding team. So like, do, do you have any sort of uh, thoughts on like why that, that two or three number? Like maybe it's, it's almost like there could be too many cooks in the kitchen, and then it's also rare that there's a, a lone wolf genius out there. So like two or three, a nice tight team maybe makes the most sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's been a lot of research on why just, just in the human psychology, just two or three people work best together, at least in the very early stages of the company. And it's, it's just a different kind of naming convention. You may call six different people the kind of co-founders. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, it's two or three people who are driving the company forward or who are, who are the main core team that in the early days before anything, they were working on the whiteboard or they're just thinking together. Well, and then, you know, I, I, I found this interesting, but um, like 60% um, of, of the unicorn founders were repeat entrepreneurs. I'm, uh, and, and then like more than half were of founding CEOs were over 35. So I'm wondering if that probably correlates to um, being, having the experience, like maybe actually having failed before, having, this be their second or third go around and learning lessons from, from other startups and things like that. Like, does that correlate that? Like, it's also exceedingly rare, even though (laughs) we get a lot of headlines for this, but it's exceedingly rare to be a 24 year old starting a startup in your dorm room and having it become a unicorn. Absolutely. So one, one thing that I think that was the kind of biggest outcome and that's the number one conclusion that I'm taking here is there is, there's a, this proportionally high number of repeat entrepreneurs and repeat successful entrepreneurs that are building these billion dollar companies. And you're seeing a lot less of those 20 year old uh, college dropouts, basically entrepreneurs. But that doesn't mean that 20 year old should not start a company because that the kind of pattern that I saw is they actually do start in, when they're 20 something years old. The first company, it may fail, it may right. be a small success. Then it's their second company or third company. This is this is a journey for them. So they start with the first one, they go on the second one, they go on the third one. And what matters is they're trying and they're trying to do different stuff. And when it comes to their kind of big success, which is the unicorn company, then they're already at their second or third company with one previous success or one previous failure. Well, and I found this fascinating also. Um, according to your data, there are almost exactly as many non-technical CEOs as technical CEOs, and you wrote, uh, while this seems to go against intuition, when the first person in rank at a unicorn was non-technical, the second person in rank also had a higher chance of being non-technical too. Do you have any, do you have any idea of why that <laughs> proved out? Well, I guess if, let's just imagine, you know, who, who you're friends with or where you're working or what type of people you're working with. If, if you're non-coder or if you're non technical and because this is a broad study that includes energy companies, material companies, biotech companies, it doesn't necessarily mean coding. It means being good with chemistry. It means being very technical in what you're, what you're doing. There is, there's a higher chance that your closest friends or your closest network, they are non-technical too. Or if you're technical, 
there's a good chance they're technical too because they're the kind of people you're working with. And you end up starting a company with someone you're close with, you have, you have, you have a, lot, a lot of experience working with them. Uh, so that's, that may be one reason. I think one, one thing that I wanted to show with this graph is a lot of people were thinking, okay, if, if this person is non-technical, you definitely need a technical co-founder, a second person, or vice versa. If the first person is technical, you need a business second person. That's not true. It can be in, any of these situations work. Yeah, we're, we're used to that sort of paradigm of, of Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. And there's the guy with the vision and the guy with the, the tech chops. Um, yeah. So that's that's super fascinating that that necessarily doesn't have to hold up. But um, I also found this. So um, your your data shows that directly relevant industry experience, previous experience in whatever industry it is that the the unicorn is starting in does not seem to matter. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, my 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 instinct would be that maybe is the um, the phenomenon of coming to something with fresh eyes. Like it's almost you're better off if you don't know what isn't possible, what you shouldn't be able to do. Do, do you think that that's uh, part of that phenomenon? Maybe that is. Maybe it's it's just that at different times, different kind of spaces or industries are are picking up. So, for example, right now I'm seeing a lot of successful tech entrepreneurs are starting companies in the healthcare uh, or spaces near bio and health, and that's that's what's probably working now or what what the future. So, at different times, these successful people who have the experience or worked on good companies before they are taking their experience to a new space. So what I've ah. kind of seen in this data is people, what, what matters is experience running a company, experience running a big team, experience raising funds, experience seeing the VCs. It doesn't matter if you don't know what this exact space is because that's something you learn. What transfers is the knowledge of how to run a team in a company, not the specific knowledge about this kind of tech or this kind of space. Because that you can learn, you can hire, you can... And, and because you have this open eye to go and learn, maybe you come up with better ideas. That's fascinating. Um, also in the data, uh, <laughs> Google, Oracle, and IBM, uh, uh, people that had uh, that were veterans of those three companies were the uh, among the uh, biggest contributors to billion-dollar founder startups. Google, I get every you know. Google has this huge reputation for for seeding a bunch of other companies and then buying them back, uh, <laughs> accu hiring them. Yeah. Even, yeah. <laughs> um, um, and even Oracle for you know that whole SaaS diaspora. But uh, IBM surprised me, and then even more surprising was number four on your list was Yahoo ahead of even Facebook. Mm -hmm. That is true. So there there's a couple of things that basically biases. One is just the number of employees. Google has 50, 60, 70,000 people working there. One is timing. So Facebook, we are, the timing of this period of basically billion dollar companies that I studied was from 2005 to end of 2018. For some part of that, basically Yahoo was, was around for a longer time uh, than, than basically the Facebook team uh, or the people who came out of Facebook. Uh, as we can say. So one part of it is that, uh, but the other part is generally the type of people that these kind of companies attract, for example, Google or Oracle. You see a lot of these data and database related unicorn companies that are founded in 2012, 2013, a lot of them are coming from Oracle, similarly from IBM. And I would say a lot of the kind of social 
uh, or productivity type of companies are coming out of Yahoo. Um, the, the a couple other details uh, before I, I ask you some like wrap up uh, summary questions, but um, you said that over fifty percent of the companies you studied were competing with multiple incumbents at the time of the founding. So like. Uh, you suggest that it almost seems like competing with multiple large incumbents is a good thing because it's a sign that the market opportunity is large. Like you said, that that's what your your firm likes to invest in. Um, and that mm -hmm. maybe large incumbents have already seeded and educated the markets. But um, most of, you said, over 65% of the cases you saw, the aim of the startup was to get market share from the others. So again, we, we often think of like unicorns as like, oh my God, they're the first to plant the flag in a new market. They they prove the market, they create the market. But you're saying that in 65% of the cases you studied, that wasn't the case. It was almost the the follow-up, the, the the disruptors coming up from behind. Mm -hmm. That's, well, that's true and not true. So yes, absolutely a big percentage of these companies were competing from day one with a, a large number or a couple of these kind of incumbents that have been in that market and have been operating in that market. And the good, the thing is, it shows there is a market, there's massive markets, the market is educated, and just the inefficiencies in these companies, the couple percentage of inefficiencies that you can win, that's enough for a company to become a billion dollar company or to show the initial traction to raise that amount of funding at that valuation. But that has been one of the kind of main reasons that we see this. One thing to not kind of mix up here is the difference between kind of the market and demand and technology. So oftentimes a market exists, a demand exists, but you are building a new technology to solve the same problem 10x better. You're still going after getting the market share from those people, from those incumbents, but with a different technology, with a different type of product. So oftentimes the product, and that's one of the other charts, the product had 70% of these companies, the product was very differentiated from these incumbents, but they were still competing with these incumbents, if that makes sense. Um, what surprises you the most about the, uh, the data that you came up with, like either from like a VC perspective or from a founder perspective? Was there one sort of like data point that like really shocked you? Um, well, I guess just one of them is, is this market thing that it, it seems intuitive that big market, big company, but oftentimes VCs like to see super unique things that are going after, you know, not not very well-defined markets or needs. That, and that's, that's where I need to specify again, a demand exists and the demand is large right now and the company is going there and getting there because we can never win the timing, so the company should be when the timing is correct, or those are the kind of companies that are working out. So I think that's, that's one of the main things that I saw. The other thing is just the super founders. So the main thing in the article that amazed me, and that's the title of the article, The Land of Super Founders, is these are the people who work, who start different companies. Maybe their first company is a failure. Their second company is a $50 million exit. And then it's their third company that becomes a unicorn. It's oftentimes not just your first experience uh, of running a company or starting a company. They're trying different things. They're succeeding. So you see this path. And now when I see people, when I see LinkedIn, I see this looks like a super founder. I have that kind of pattern matching mm. uh, wonders now that you see 
he's on a path and maybe his next company is not a unicorn, but his second next company is a unicorn. And we better back this person because in the next 10 years, we have an opportunity with him or her. So that's the big lesson that VCs should take away from from your research. But um, what if if there are founders listening or if there are people that want to mm-hmm. be founders, what do you think would be uh, one big key lesson uh, that founders could take away from your research? So pick big markets, massive markets. No, do not be afraid of competition with big guys, not small guys. If there's a highly funded startup that's doing that and you're just copying them, that doesn't work. But if there's a you know, 20-year-old big company with a massive market, don't be afraid of that comp- competition. Don't be afraid of losing it to them because they have a lot of inefficiencies. Don't be afraid of competing with Google of the world. That's, that's what this is saying. And look for that big market and have a very differentiated product. It seems like a lot of these companies have a very high differentiation. And when I actually filter out companies over $5 billion rather than $1 billion, I actually saw there's even more differentiation. So the more differentiation in the core product offering, the more 10x, the more 100x better product experience, the better the company is. I'm going to end almost with not really a question, but I you made this point, and <laughs> I actually think it's crucial because this is what we've been talking about on the show a lot recently. Um, you noted that like the, the most common themes in your research in terms of uh, the types of companies, it was like cloud, data, mobile, marketplace, that sort of thing. But you made the point, the themes of the next 14 years will not necessarily be those of the past 14 years, the past 14 years in your research. Um, I'm wondering, Absolutely. maybe, right. So maybe the question would be, um, do you think that this is a pivot point where like now, like, we're in this nexus point where we, we're, we're still trying to find what these new themes are and, and they're not obvious yet, but at the very least, you're probably not going to, your, your best chance at success is to not copy the playbook of the last 14 years. Exactly. Exactly. Or those types of companies. So I'm big on construction and manufacturing and mining, healthcare, insurance. These are big trillion dollar markets that are still run by incumbents. And that's the best opportunity for startups to go after. So don't go after another tech for tech company, go and find these trillion dollar market opportunities and disrupt them. 